Welcome to the Plant School Podcast. I'm Rachel, and here we learn about plants, how to care for them, how they work, and I keep it simple and taught in a way that anyone from beginner to expert can enjoy. Join me in Plant School. Hello, and welcome back to Plant School, or welcome to Plant School if this is your first time here on the podcast. This is a place where we cover all sorts of plant subjects in very simple terms for anyone to join in and understand. And today, we're doing one of my favorite segments. We're going to be doing a Woman in Botany episode, as you can see from the title. And we are going to be covering Catherine Esau. So first of all, who is Catherine Esau? Just like a little snippet of who she is. She was a German-American botanist in the 1900s, most known for her work on plant anatomy and receiving a National Medal of Science for her work. So I want to give you guys a rundown of her life before diving into all of the details of what she did and why she's important. And I hope you guys will come to love her as much as I did as I started to learn more and more about her. She had a really interesting upbringing, first of all, and then what she went on to do and how she affected plant biology and botany in general, I think is really remarkable on top of her having just a remarkable character. So let's dive in, starting with her early life. Catherine was born on April 3rd in 1898 in Oh my goodness, I meant to call my sister and ask her how to say this Russian town because she lived over there for over a year, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give it a whack. So she was born in Yakutinoslav of the Russian Empire, and it is now Dniprochefotsk, Ukraine. I think that's as good as it's gonna get. So that's the name of the town today. Catherine was born into a family of Mennonites of German descent, The family was pretty well off. Her father was the mayor of their town and Catherine attended school. She was a great student and she chose to study agriculture because she thought that it dealt with plants in a more interesting way than botany because botany only seemed to deal with just naming plants. So that is why she chose to study agriculture. In 1916, she began to study agriculture at Golotsyn Agricultural College in Moscow. Now that is a Russian town I can... I can say. Thank goodness, that would be pitiful if I couldn't. And after a year, the Bolshevik Revolution hit and they fled by wagon for two weeks to Germany in 1917. It would have been dangerous for their family to stay due to her father's political status as the mayor, their wealth, and their German ancestry, so they decided to flee. Catherine completed her studies at the Agricultural College of Berlin, where she worked closely with Professor Erwin Bauer, who later became very famous for his work in plant breeding. Now, after a while, the family decided to move to the U.S., so they came through Ellis Island, and they left New York for California. They moved to Reedley, California in 1922, and they moved to Reedley because it was predominantly a Mennonite community, and that's what they were comfortable with. They were Mennonites. Catherine got a job working at Spreckel Sugar Company, and her job at Spreckel's was figuring out how to help sugar beets create resistance to the curly top virus. And this was because she had an education and knowledge with Professor Bauer back in Berlin in plant breeding. And in case you're like me and have no idea what the curly top virus is, because I don't think that's very common knowledge, unless you're a beet farmer like Dwight Schrute. 
This virus is passed by the beet leafhopper, which is native to the western U.S., and it's responsible for destroying many crops, not just beets. It can attack beans, celeries, spinach, melons, peppers, squash, cucumbers, tomatoes, but it's mostly known for its effects on sugar beets. Because of this, there's considerable economic loss for many farmers, many companies because of this virus. And Catherine was able to successfully institute a hybridization program, so a way to breed the sugar beets so that those beets that were bred would not be so susceptible to the disease. It wasn't 100%, but it did really help. And in 1927, Catherine, she was still working at the Spreckle Sugar Company, and two men just happened to show up and they were chairman of UC Davis and she showed them what was being done on the curly top disease because that's why they were there and she took that opportunity to ask these men about graduate work at UC Davis. Also I should say UC Davis is the University of California in Davis and they accepted her, they appointed her to be a graduate assistant So she packed up, she left the Spreckle Sugar Company in 1927 that same year in her Studebaker filled with beets and beet seed. So a few years later in 1931, she received her PhD. It was awarded through the University of California, Berkeley, and she joined faculty at UC Davis as junior botanist in the experimental station in the College of Agriculture. Quite the title. So she remained on staff at UC Davis, not in that position. She moved around to a full-time professor of botany, but she retired at the age of 67. So she spent most of her life doing research and being a professor. She never married, and it's said that while she was early on in her career, she made a decision to stay single. She had numerous suitors. She found this to be an amusing situation and often joked about the difficulty she had in discouraging several men interested in marrying her. And then at the age of 99, she passed away on June 4th, 1997 in Santa Barbara, California. So I know you're probably thinking, whoa, 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 what is she even known for? You didn't even go into what she did. And I'm about to, I promise, we're going to take a quick break first, hear from our podcast sponsor of today, Reframables, and then we will dive right back into it. Reframables is Nat and Beck, two very different sisters who like to reorient life through the stories we tell. So yeah, it's a reframing project. We're working through to the other side of life's big and small challenges. It's for those who want to self-examine, but not just to make yourself better, to make the world better. So come here for the introspections and the conversations with our favorite artists and thinkers. We'll always leave you with something new to chew on and lots of laughs along the way. Find Reframables each week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. All right, so as promised, we're going to dive right into what Catherine Esau was known for. So while working at UC Davis, she became a pioneering plant anatomist, meaning she was one of the first, and she published the book Plant Anatomy in 1955, and she also published Anatomy of Seed Plants in 1960. And these books, both of them, were used as staple biology texts for four decades. So these books, especially Plant Anatomy, they were groundbreaking and it was the foremost text in the U.S. and widely adopted abroad. One of Catherine's graduate students, Ray Everett, he said this about the book Plant Anatomy. 
He said, The book Plant Anatomy brought to life what previously had seemed to me to be a rather dull subject. I was not the only one so affected. Plant Anatomy had an enormous impact worldwide, literally bringing about a revivification of the discipline. And the book Plant Anatomy was basically going into the study or the structure of the internal workings of a plant. This was something that a lot of people didn't know much about. And the reason why she got pulled into this line of research was due to her work way back at the Spreckle Sugar Company. When she was working on that curly top virus, she started her doctoral research continuing to figure out this virus which specifically affected the phloem tissue of the plants infected. And the phloem, it's basically the living tissue in a plant that is transporting sugars to the rest of the plant. Or in other words, it's the food conducting tissue in a plant. Super important. And so this all led her to study the effect of the curly top virus to the phloem because that's what was being obstructed with the virus. So that's what her PhD was centered around. And for the rest of her career, it led her to become the leader in plant anatomy. Kind of cool to see how her early years of just getting her first job in the U.S. really dictated where her whole career ended up going. In the 1950s, she worked with fellow botanist Vernon Cheadle doing more phloem research and she helped publish what was titled The Phloem in 1969 in their book, Handbook der Pflanzenetonomy. That was my best whack at German, but that means Encyclopedia of Plant Anatomy. And it has been recognized as the most important piece of the book, that part that Catherine Esau wrote, The Phloem, and it was a source of definitive information on the phloem. So what she wrote was highly regarded. It was at the foremost of the field in research about plant anatomy, and so it was widely used. In 1951, she became the president of the Botanical Society of America, and one huge achievement that she had was being elected for the National Academy of Sciences. So this was in 1957, and at this point in time, she was only the sixth woman to be elected so far. In her career as a professor, she officially mentored 15 doctoral students and taught hundreds and hundreds of undergraduate students in her classes. And even after retiring from UC Davis, she continued to research well into her 90s, and in her lifetime, she had published a total of 162 articles and 5 books. I think that's amazing. Knowing the work that goes into a scientist just publishing one article is an astounding amount of work, and to know that she was published 162 times is such a big feat. I'm sure part of that was just her love for this research. You can see it in the way that she continued to work into her 90s. So in 1989, President George Bush awarded Catherine Esau the National Medal of Science, a huge honor and she was the first trained botanist to receive the award. I thought this was cute, so when her oral history was being compiled by David Russell, she said this about being elected for this medal. She said, I don't know how I happened to be elected for the National Medal of Science. I have no idea what impressed them about me. Very humble, Catherine. We like it. We know why you got elected. You're amazing. And interestingly, she did not seem to be at all bothered by her being a woman and being a pioneering scientist. 
I have some more quotes actually of people asking her about this and how she felt about being a woman in this field. She said, I found ways of maintaining spiritual independence while adjusting myself to established policies. I have never felt that my career was being affected by the fact that I am a woman. And later in life, she also said this when they asked her if she saw herself as a pioneer woman in science. She said, this is such a funny thing. I never worried about being a woman. It never occurred to me that that was an important thing. I always thought that women could do just as well as men. Of course, the majority of women are not trained to think that way. They are trained to be homemakers, and I was not a homemaker. This woman was born in 1898, and I feel like she lived in the period of time where very much so women were known as homemakers and not much else. So the fact that that like was not something on her mind, I think is a huge contributing factor to her achieving so much in those decades that she was living in where it was not something that was normal. And when she did pass at the age of 99, I found a New York Times article written shortly after she had died, and the title of it was Catherine Esau is Dead at 99, A World Authority on Botany. I just wanted to include that to show how highly regarded this woman was. And I also wanted to include, because it is amazing that she lived to be age 99, I found a publication in the annual reviews where they gave a little bit of an insight to our daily routine. For any of you that are interested in, hmm, how can I live to be 99 like Catherine Esau? Maybe this will help you. So she was described as being incredibly organized and meticulous. Her office and home desk were always neat and tidy. Her drawers were artfully arranged with pins in one compartment, pencils in another, all oriented in the same direction, and paper clips, rubber bands, and other items carefully stored in separate sections. Okay, that had nothing to do with her daily routine. But apparently she was very organized. I don't think that'll help you live any longer. Maybe it will. Maybe it's less stressful. But here's her daily routine. It says, She was equally meticulous as a person. Dr. Esau exercised every morning at 5 a.m. before beginning her day. Several days a week, she also took a long afternoon walk. She did her shopping on Saturdays and, upon returning home, prepared food for the entire week. Her dietary demands were very simple. She never tired of the same menu. Before retiring, usually after midnight, she would brush her hair 100 strokes, massage her scalp, and perform a few stretching exercises. After pleasure reading for 10 to 20 minutes, she would sleep soundly until 5 a.m. Okay, so Catherine did not get the recommended 8 hours of sleep, but apparently it worked very well for her. And reading what she did with her hair, I just imagine that her hair is beautiful, was beautiful. A hundred strokes every night and massaging her scalp. That sounds, sounds like something I need to start doing. But there you go. It just kind of paints you a picture of who she was and it makes you love her just that much more. At least it does for me. I think it's really cute how she was super organized and really took care of her body. So last question that I want to go over is how does she live on today? How is she remembered? First of all, you can read her books and you can actually access her publications at the Cornelius Herman Muller Library at UC Santa Barbara, where it's available for loan to the public. 
And there's also a Catherine Esau Award in her honor as a lecturer, author, and scientist, and it's awarded to graduate students who present the best paper in structural and developmental biology at the annual meeting of the Botanical Society of America. And before she passed, Catherine created the Catherine Esau Fellowship Program in 1993 at UC Davis, which supports postdoctoral and junior faculty and graduate fellowships. She's also, of course, remembered in other ways through her work, through all the research that she put in and people have built off from there. Overall, an amazing woman. I'm glad I had the chance to learn more about her. I'm glad you had the chance to listen in and learn more about her as well. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode, and I hope you'll join me next week for Plant School. Thank you for being here and listening today, and I hope you'll join me next week. If you'd like to support this podcast and keep it going, you can find the support link below in the description and donate. Or, I have some awesome Plant School merch, including stickers, shirts, and mugs, and the link to my shop is in the description as well. And if you don't want to spend any money but still support the podcast, share this podcast with a friend, either verbally or electronically. This will even qualify you for my giveaway. Just message me on Instagram at tinnyplant that you shared the podcast with a friend, and you'll be entered in for a chance to win some goodies. Winners will be announced on the podcast. Again, thank you for listening and I hope you have a great week.